Krishna. Uh, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. So we'll begin with the mantra. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So today we'll be reading from uh, First Canto, Chapter 2, Text 7. That's where we left off. So these are, in this chapter, the second chapter of the Bhagavatam, there are many famous verses. <clears throat> Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janiyatyashu Vairagyam Gyanam cha janahaitukam. So, uh, this verse says, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Priyojita. Uh, the Bhagavatam begins, of course, with the famous Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And here we have those same two names of Krishna, Vasudeva Bhagavati. Uh, Bhagavan, of course, means the Lord, as in Bhagavad Gita. And uh, Vasudeva is the son of Vasudeva. So by using the word or the name of God, Vasudeva, the Bhagavatam indicates that we are specifically talking about Krishna as he came to this world. And uh, as I've explained, for the sages at Naimi Sharanya and their elected speaker, Sutta, um, that was a recent event. It was something within historical memory. So Vasudeva, specifically to hear about Krishna as he came to this world to, to change the world, as he explains in Bhagavad Gita. So this verse says, Bhakti Yoga, the practice of devotional service, Priyojita, when it is applied to or when it is dedicated to um, Vasudev, Lord Vasudev, then that bhakti yoga, Janiyatyashu Vairagyam, it quickly, quickly produces Janiyati or generates Janiyati Vairagyam. Uh, of course, the word vairaga comes, Vairagya comes from Viraga which means without passion, without material passion, without material yearning. So from Viraga, uh, we get Vairagya. So this Bhakti Yoga quickly produces Vairagya and Jnana, which is Ahaitukam, translated here as causeless. Uh, as I've explained many times, uh, the word Hetu means a cause, but also means a uh, not only a physical cause, but a, a mental cause, a psychological cause, which in English is called a motive, a motive, motivation. So uh, from the word heitu, of course, we have the word haituka, which means having a motive or a cause. 
And ahaijukam means uh, unmo unmotivated, without any selfish motivation. So the pursuit of knowledge often or normally has a selfish motivation. A person says, well, I enjoy studying this or that, or, or sometimes we pursue knowledge because it's in our uh, financial interest to do so, to get certain kinds of knowledge. Or there is uh, the knowledge in military and political matters, or even if one says, okay, here by knowledge, we mean knowledge, philosophical knowledge, one may pursue philosophical knowledge to relieve one's own suffering. For example, many people realize that because of their attachments, they suffer terribly because of attachment to another person. So if I could just understand that I'm not this body, if I could just understand that that person is not uh, going to make me happy and does not deserve all my passionate attachment, so people often pursue knowledge uh, for some personal reason. But the knowledge that bhakti yoga produces, uh, it has no personal motive. It's just, you just realize this sublime knowledge of God, of Krishna, and you are not trying to exploit or use that knowledge to relieve your suffering or to get money or to impress other people, or for any reason. It's just pure knowing, pure understanding that comes to you as you try to serve Krishna with devotion. So that's really what we want. We want to understand, we want to uh, be detached. As we know, anyone that's lived in the world long enough and it doesn't take very long understands that when we're attached to things we do suffer it can be attachment to our children attachment to a place attachment to position fame money power uh, attachment to being the center of someone else's life in a romantic relationship or relationship which begins romantically uh, we become attached to being the most important person in someone else's life. And if we find out that, uh-oh, I'm no longer the most important person in that person's life, then it can be devastating because we were so attached and we had built up this false ego. As I have often said, when we suffer, Suffering is a very good measure because if you measure how much you're suffering, that's exactly how much you try to enjoy the material world. Uh, it, um, it's nature balancing itself. Oops. That um, I tried to enjoy this much and therefore I'm suffering that, that same amount. So when we become attached to this um, delusion, this uh, fantasy or hallucination that uh, in a relationship, within a particular relationship, I am the most important person to this other person. And that's why it's attachment because obviously we're not most important to almost everybody else in the universe. 
I mean, there are very few people to whom we are that important. And so, therefore, we, we focus our life, we narrow our life, like, okay, identify with this relationship. This is the center of my life. Why? Because that's the relationship in which I'm the center of the universe. Delusional? Very. Uh, absurd? Yeah, extremely. But seductive? Yes, for fools. And we're all fools. That's why we have material bodies. So um, if you chant Hare Krishna and just sort of live long enough, then you, you realize this is ridiculous. That is just absurd. That's not what I, I don't want to be trapped in this delusion that I'm the most important person in the universe, at least for this other person. I just want to serve Krishna. I just want to uh, peacefully serve Krishna. So, so in that sense, devotional service does produce detachment and knowledge. And you may say, well, that's down the road for me. But actually, we have our moments. For example, if you just cry out to Krishna or offer a very sincere prayer to Krishna or you're just having a good day in Krishna consciousness, then um, it comes. This detachment and knowledge actually comes. So it may not last, it may take a while before we become completely steady in this detachment and knowledge, but uh, it's, it will come. I mean, we already have our moments, our good moments, and, and life will become all good moments if we stick to Krishna consciousness. So we'll go to the next verse. Dharmak svanushtitak pungsam vishwaksena katasujak so this is a common theme in the Bhagavatam. It's very important, especially now that so many devotees are becoming more worldly, you could say, or uh, becoming, adopting more and more, you could say, at least some of the sort of normal standards of behavior and even moral standards of the world they live in. Because after all, uh, most devotees nowadays don't live in Hare Krishna temples. I can't say that I do, unless I consider my little ashram a Hare Krishna temple. But if we have a life in which we have family and we, and we work, we have a job, uh, even if someone just has a job, it means most of the time, most of the time that devotee is out there in the world. I mean, maybe a good devotee, maybe a devotee is thinking of Krishna, but still, you know, we're out there in the world. And then we associate with other devotees who are out there in the world and we may make friends among non-devotees. These are natural processes, but the consequences are just as natural, which means more and more, I mean, inevitably, we identify with the world we actually live in. So if we are living out there in the world, and that's the world we really live in, then we will, there's a tendency to identify with the world's standards. So if you're surrounded by people that say, that say it's okay to do something, uh, just by normal social psychology, I can begin to think it's okay to do that because everyone around me supports me in doing that. And uh, in that way, by bad association, or simply by mundane association, I mean, people we 
associated with may not be evil, they may simply be mundane, they may simply be in the bodily concept of life, and that rubs off. And so, um, <clears throat> so then what we see is there, there, I, there's, a, there's a tendency, which is very clear among many devotees, to, uh, as Krishna says in the Gita in chapter 12, if you can't do this, do that. And so there's sort of a revalidating of, you could say, mundane, or probably what we call mundane welfare work, or just being a good person. I mean, I absolutely advise everyone, even in the material sense, be a good person. But there's a tendency to think that, well, that's enough. You know, if I'm a good person, I, you know, I'm a devotee ultimately, but it kind of stays there in the ultimate dimension. So I'm ultimately a devotee, but in my practical daily life, I just try to be a good person, and there's really some value in that. So, uh, true, there is some value, but, but what is the value? Because here the verse says dharma. The word dharma, of course, means your duty. Basically, you know, doing dharma, here it says su anustita, anustita, Stita is like in English standing, like to stand in something, sta, stanam in Sanskrit, to stand in something, to abide by something, uh, to stick to something in the sense of standing it. And then anu means uh, following or continuously. So anu stita means uh, taking something on as a steady practice, a steady duty, anustita, and then here we have the prefix su, which means very, like very well done, or being very steady in dharma, dharma swanustita. So, in other words, be a, just be a good person in the worldly sense. So the Bhagavatam says that um, if people, Pungsang people, if people very nicely perform dharma, basically just being a good person, doing your duty, whether it's your you know, duty to work, to maintain your family, or to treat people properly, or to keep yourself clean, personal hygiene, or you know, paying your taxes, just being a good, decent person in the world. That's basically what the point is. Dharma team. But if that dutifulness, if that being a nice person in the world does not produce uh, in you uh, rati, love, love for attachment to Vishwaksena Katas for narrations about Krishna, talking about Krishna, hearing about Krishna, if you know, we are good, decent people, we do our duty, but somehow all that being a good person does not arouse in us, does not bring out in us, um, attachment, real love for hearing about Krishna, then that um, doing our duty is, the Bhagavatam says, Shama Eva, Nothing but labor. Shrava Evi Kalim. We worked at it. We worked hard. But that's all it is. Just labor. 
Prabhupada translates from a useless labor. We just worked hard, but at the end, we had nothing to show, really. Although in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that if you do your duty and you're a good person, you will be elevated. But as we know, the cycle of birth and death is a cycle. You know, the word cycle means like, you know, like a bicycle, round, a cycle is something that goes around. A circle, the word circle, cycle. So the cycle of birth and death means that, yes, we have our good moments. We have our fling in the mode of goodness and we're elevated, but then the other modes assert themselves. Material goodness is kind of boring because it's not unlimited like Krishna. So after a while, it's like, hey, you know, I've been every day for the last 10 years, I've had vanilla ice cream. Like maybe I'm going to try some other flavor. And so then it goes around. We end up, and since, you know, there's not that much to choose from. If you don't like the mode of goodness, there's only two other products on the shelf, which are the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance. And that's, that's exactly what happens. So, um, we should not be seduced by the happiness, as Krishna describes it, happiness and wisdom that come from material goodness. Let's say you're a devotee and you know, at least theoretically, that the ultimate goal is Krishna. Uh, but in your real life, maybe, you know, whatever, you are busy in the world, but you try to be a good person. Let's say you are a good person. And so what's going to be the result of that? Uh, according to Bhagavad Gita, you're going to be happy. Not the highest spiritual bliss, but Krishna says, tasmat sattu nirmalatva prakashakam anamayam sukha sangena bandhanti. I mean, it, it's, it's in the Gita in many places that goodness, virtue, brings happiness and a certain wisdom. So if you sort of put the brakes on a little bit, your direct spiritual practice, and but you try to be a good person, uh, you'll be rewarded by nature, by God through nature, in the sense that you will feel pretty happy and you'll have a certain wisdom and life will seem good. So, you know, it's one thing when you're young, let's say we, you know, many of us have our, how I came to Krishna consciousness story. We were, we were young and foolish and, you know, trying this and trying that and suffering. And then you find relief in Krishna consciousness. But as you get older and you're a devotee, let's say if you just, you're not the most spiritual thing in the, in the galaxy, but you're a good person. You're not going to suffer that much. You're actually going to have a certain material happiness, sense of wisdom, and uh, maybe you're even vegan. So it's, as, as you can see, to really be Krishna conscious requires tremendous, uh, among other things, intellectual integrity. In other words, if you know, if you really know, not just because it sounds right, but because you've experienced it, sometime in your life that Krishna really is God and that the goal of life really is Krishna consciousness, then even if you can sort of coast or just glide along, you know, catch this wave 
surfing, you know, surfing USA. Even if you can catch this wave of the mode of goodness and just sort of flow, go with the flow of wisdom and certain material happiness, if you know within you that actually this is temporary and the real truth is Krishna, then there's a certain integrity that will bring you to uh, try to uh, advance in your spiritual life. Also, because the mode of goodness, you know, it's very few people are purely in the mode of goodness. Uh, usually people who are in goodness are proud of being good people. And that pride, of course, is the mode of passion. And when I'm in the mode of goodness, I have a certain wisdom. So I think I'm smarter than other people. That's passion again. And so, or other people admire me because I'm a good person and I enjoy their admiration, passion again. And so in this world, the modes tend to be mixed. And so uh, I'm trying to explain this verse that if we are not really Krishna conscious, if we're not attracted to Krishna, but we, have, we live good lives and we're sort of happy and wise, ultimately uh, that's going to lead to nothing but more trouble because it's binding us to the material world, as Krishna says. So maybe we'll do one more verse. Dharmasya hyapavar gyasya nartartayo pakalpate nartasya dharmaikantasya kamulavaya hismrita. Indeed, this verse says, he indeed, uh, dharma is really meant for liberation, spiritual liberation. Apavarga means liberation. Here we have a derivative word, apavargyas which means uh, a life of liberation or something that is meant for liberation. So dharma is actually meant for liberation, not simply being a, a good person in this world and being happy and wise materially. And so we're, we're sort of going through dharmartha, kama, moksha. Those are the purusharthas or pumarthas, the goals of human life. So the Bhagavad is gonna go through that list and the point's going to be that there's really only one ultimate purpose in life, and that's Krishna consciousness. And, of course, Dharma plays a role, and Artha, which is you know economics, taking care of your material needs, uh, that plays a role, and Kama, desire, that also is something you can't completely ignore. But ultimately, there's one great purpose, which is Krishna consciousness. And Lord Chaitanya said that, uh, that prema pumartha mahan, that there are these pumarthas or purusharthas, goals of human life. And um, there's four generally given dharmartha, kama, moksha. But uh, the great purpose of life, the great purpose of life, and the purpose that really ultimately uh, includes all the others is prema, love of God and through that love of other living beings. So here is the first one of the four goals of life, Dharma, Dharma Sihapavargyasya. Dharma is really meant to liberate you spiritually. It's meant to get you out of this world of birth and death. And and it's not really intended, or Artha, the next one is Artha, which means, it's sort of a play on words here in Sanskrit, because the word Artha means purpose, uh, like, for example, if you put artha in a compound 
after another words, it means for the purpose of that first word. Uh, like, for example, if you say kama uh, artaya for the purpose of sense gratification or sukartaya, uh, sukarta means for the purpose of happiness. So, so it means purpose, but also means value. And all these means related because what's a value? It, it means that, or what is a purpose? It means the attempt to achieve a value. Like if you, let's say, cook rice, uh, then the cooking has a purpose. The purpose is to offer and eat the rice. So because you place value on eating, because you place value on staying alive, therefore you cook. And so whenever you say you have a purpose, that logically requires that you value something because in, unless you value something, you can't have a purpose. So therefore the word artha means value, it means purpose, and through value it means money, or just whatever it is of value. People have different uh, way, different currencies, you know, like sometimes they would read in India, it's like little seashells or something, or it can be coins, it can be bills, it can be uh, digital instruments, it can be gold, so, but, value is assigned to something and then that becomes money or currency. So therefore that in Artha also means that. And it also means interest because in other words, your purpose. So therefore there's a, a book called Artha Shastra, which is the Shastra or the an authoritative book on pursuing your self-interest. So here, I mean, with all those meanings of Artha, the Bhagavatam says, na Artha, Artaya, that artha is not meant for artha. I mean, obviously a play on words. Because artha means like your your goal, your purpose is not meant for just getting money or pursuing selfish purpose. So it's a it's a it's clever in Sanskrit. It's a play on words. It says artha is, is not intended for artha. But you have to understand the, the various meanings of that. And then it says that artha is really meant for Dharma. So so the reason we get the basic supplies in life, like enough food, shelter, roof over our head, and you know nowadays enough money to get what we need, the reason, the purpose behind this artha or pursuing uh, money or just whatever we need to live in life is so that we can act virtuously. And that virtuous behavior, dharma, is meant to liberate us from this world to go back to Godhead. So that's what's being said here, Nartasya Dharmaikantasya. So for someone who is really dedicated to Dharma, uh, the goal of Artha is not Kama. In other words, when you get money or whatever, you know, values you have in terms of, you know, things that are worth something, it should go up. Because if you take Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, you have Dharma, virtue, and then there's just like pursuing your material needs. And then there's kama, sense gratification. So when you get money, when you get value, it should, it should go up. It should be used to go to dharma. It shouldn't go down to sense gratification. That's the idea here. So for one who's dedicated to dharma, artha is not intended uh, for sense gratification and and for someone who is dedicated to Dharma, uh, 
even sense gratification, or maybe to use a, a more neutral word, sense satisfaction, because as we know, we have to eat to live, and if you eat tasteless food all the time, if you all the time eat food that really doesn't taste good, you're gonna get a little crazy. And so we need a certain amount of sense satisfaction. So I'd like to make a distinction here between sense gratification, where a person is just really trying to enjoy, and simply sense satisfaction that we you know, need to see beauty. For example, I remember I read an article that um, in Manhattan or New York, uh, somewhere maybe it's the Bronx in some lower, lower class neighborhood where it's all just ugly buildings and there's nothing natural there. And so a teacher in the school had the children uh, for maybe 15, 20 minutes a day just lie on their backs and look up at the sky because it was, you know, the only way you can see the sky there, there's so many buildings you gotta, you have to lie down your back to see the sky and it, it improved the children's behavior. So seeing something beautiful, seeing nature, having reasonably tasty food, and uh, for most people, getting married and having intimate contact with the opposite sex. There are certain, there's a certain sense satisfaction which is needed just to be a stable, sane person. However, uh, that sense satisfaction ultimately I mean, that's not the goal. It's really, even sense satisfaction, like money, is meant to stabilize us, satisfy us to a reasonable degree, so that we can focus on the real purpose of our life, which is Krishna consciousness. So uh, that's what is being explained here. Um, here's a question. To be a good person, I'm translating Spanish. To be a good person in the world, is it only to involve oneself, engage oneself in hearing and uh, performing devotional service to Krishna, which actually liberates us? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we are becoming Krishna conscious, we will automatically good, be good persons. There's a common distinction nowadays. They'll say someone is you know, religious but not spiritual. And if you look at, frankly, some devotees, you know where that saying comes from. And so we all know people who are devotees and even very strict, they're just not nice people. And there are strict devotees who are nice people, but you know, that's really what being, you know, not just being religious, being spiritual, uh, then, yeah, uh, we should, uh, through, Krishna, through Krishna consciousness, even through whatever we do in Krishna consciousness to satisfy our material bodies, we should ultimately be Krishna conscious in the sense of being good people. In Krishna consciousness. And the way we treat other people is very important. That, that's a sign of, I don't know how I got into this, but that's a sign of real Krishna consciousness, you know, how you treat other people. Yes, the ultimate goal is love for Krishna. Here's another question mark. Um, how can we follow this intellectual in integrity to act on the theoretical knowledge that Krishna is God and the goal of life? Well, if it's purely theoretical to a person, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a little tough. 
so we need realization without realization we can't just artificially give up other things and so how do we get realization Hare Nama Hare Nama in this age in my own experience the, the most powerful way to get realization is spiritual realizations take shelter of Krishna's holy names chant Hare Krishna seriously with real devotion really open your heart to Krishna when you chant and then there will be some realization and then giving up other things will not be artificial because we can't artificially give things up. I mean, good luck. It's just, it just doesn't work. We have to have a higher taste. That's what Krishna explains in the Gita. So we get that higher taste by service, by chanting, by friendship with devotees and so on. So could we say that devotee life is Dharma? Uh, Arta to Dharma to Prema. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's Paro Dharma. In fact, uh, just a, verse six, I think, was Savai in this chapter, Savai Pungsang Paro Dharma, Jito Bhakti Rhoshaje. The highest Dharma it's, is that which brings you to Krishna consciousness. So, yes. Anyway, uh, thank you all very much. I apologize if you asked a question and I missed it. Again, if you put lots of question marks, I can, I'll notice that when I'm scrolling through the comments. Okay, here's another question. Yeah, actually, Prabhupada Priya did put the question marks. Apart from being a name of Krishna, does the word Vasudev have other meanings? Well, it means the son of Vasudev. I've heard it explained as all pervasive, transcendence, meanings which lend themselves toward a more impersonal interpretation. Uh, Vasu. Vasu in Sanskrit can mean uh, opulence, riches that's what it often means and so vasudeva means sort of the lord of opulence that's vasudeva and so from that vasudeva so does it mean uh does that have other meanings i mean you could if, if you wanted to do the all-pervasive thing there's a, a sanskrit root vas which means to dwell to live like vasa means a home so, because Krishna is the abode of the goddess of fortune, he's called Sri Vasa or Sri Nivasa. And so, um, so if you take Vasu as coming from the root Vas to dwell, then you could say Vasudeva means God, Deva, who dwells everywhere, who lives everywhere, who's all pervading. So, you could do that too. But that's not impersonal because it's deva, deva means God, and that, it's not, that's not an impersonal word. So if you say vasudeva, of course some people can try to get an impersonal meaning, that's not actually what it means. Uh, so, uh, thank you all very much. Thank you all for listening. And I hope uh, the world will still be here next Sunday and we'll see you all again. Or actually you'll see me, but I won't see you unfortunately because of the uh, limitations of this technology so Hare Krishna